0: I'm going to sit down. There is a reason for this that will become Blessed morning to you all, everyone. Happy Sunday. Blessed Sunday. Happy is a much stronger word, as we heard with uh, Maynard speaking a couple of weeks ago. Happy is a deep joy. And as last week, isn't it wonderful being sons and daughters of the living God, princes and princesses of the King of Heaven, with a blessed assurance, assurance which brings benefit of being children of a glorious Father, in who you can put firm trust and have great confidence that He loves you with a love that is both sacrificial endless a love that set our God upon the cross to pay a price for us that we did not deserve that we ourselves could never have been willing or able to meet his life poured out for you and me unto death that we might have eternal life the only one who is found worthy our Lord and Saviour, the Son, Jesus Christ, to whom is due all the glory and the honour. Amen. In Matthew 28 11, we read, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And know this, I am with you to the very end of the age. So Jesus has been given the authority and he gives it to us as his ambassadors, as his brothers and sisters. He gives it to us in the Great Commission. Now, hopefully, we're all baptised, as that's the first thing in the Great Commission. But don't forget, we have baptisms taking place here on the 26th of September. Noah and Lucy are going in the water. And if you have not been baptised or want to go into the water again, either because last time you did it for someone else or because you were pressured or maybe just because others were, go into the sacred waters again of your own free will and with a joyful heart, saying, Lord, I want to know you more. Then do it. Share in the celebration. Anyway, today I am not dealing with the first part of the great commission, the part but the part which says teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In Jeremiah 29:11, a much used and well-known verse we read, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to bring you hope and a future. We often look no further than this, but if we read further on in the chapter, we will see that there are certain conditions and prerequisites, requirements, on which this verse hinges. Further on in the chapter, we read in verses 12 through to 14, Then you will call on me, And come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me. With all your heart. I will be found by you. Declares the Lord. So this is a promise. And we know that the Lord keeps his promises. So what is the outworking of this? The indwelling Holy Spirit leads us by convicting our conscience of what we should and should not be doing how we should act and when we should as the verses in Jeremiah we have just read suggest call upon the Lord pray to him and seek him with all our hearts if we are not doing these things we may be left wondering why sometimes we may feel disconnected out in a cold as if we've been ignored but don't forget we all at times wander about in that desert place, but seek him and you will find him, for he will never leave you nor forsake you, but occasionally he may be a silent companion. If you do not love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and sometimes his silence is a way of him showing he loves you, for the Lord, as we know, chastens those scolds those whom he loves and he is urging you back onto the narrow path to walk even closer to him. Don't forget, make sure you fulfill the ministry you have been given in the Lord. Whatever he has called you to do, do it. We want to see fruit in our lives in one form or the other and when we are following the Lord's route we shall see it. Run your race, keep on keeping on and it will happen. But most of all, seek him with all of you. Give him all of you. He is faithful and true, and he will not let you down. Love the Lord, your God, as we know, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is not, by the way, a talk on the fruits of the spirits or the spiritual gifts which we are told to desire and seek, but about the attitudes we as believer, believers should be showing. Showing to a spiritually corrupt or spiritually impoverished world. They're either following the wrong God or getting a seriously watered down version of our Jesus. These attitudes that we should adopt are the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5 and a part of the Sermon of the Mount, as well you know. They are, if you like, how we should be, and I believe when we have these in place, then we will see the fruits of the Spirit and signs and wonders manifest in our midst. Here you will get a mix from me of head and heart. Head, that which I have read and studied, and heart, that which the Holy Spirit has given me at various stages during prayer and preparation. Excuse me. To fully understand the background to the Sermon on the Mount, we need first to read the end of the previous chapter, chapter four in Matthew, verses twenty four and twenty five. Here we read News spread about him all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases those suffering severe pain the demon-possessed those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them large crowds gathered from Galilee the Decapolis and Jerusalem Judea and the region across the Jordan all followed him so that some crowd that is some and this is at the outset of his ministry. We're going to read at the beginning of Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he called his disciples to him. And he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and began to teach them. Hence, why I'm sitting here. Because the rabbis and the teachers of that time, whenever they talked, they would be seated in the synagogues. So Ed would be uh seated in the situation and it was the listeners who used to stand up. Don't worry, I'm not asking you all to stand up for the rest of this because you'll get... It <laughs> might be some time, but I'm very aware of the time now. Now, anyway, how busy Jesus had been, serving and saving, giving of himself again and again. The word makes a differentiation, the living word that is, Here between the crowd and his disciples, we know that like us, Jesus would grow weary, being not only God, but God incarnate, made flesh. So yes, he got tired and often went off to be alone with his father, often on a mountaintop or a hillside to recharge himself. His, as we call it, quiet time. This is not the case here, however. But he withdrew with his disciples after pouring himself out. If you think about it, he's, he's been with the crowd, with the multitude, and always in a crowd. You will have those, as was mentioned in Fad's sermon a few weeks back, who are just hangers-on. They're there for what they can get out of the situation. They're there just following, but they're not really tuned in, they're just in for what they can gain. But we're from the crowd with his disciples. Remember, iron sharpens iron. So you can imagine him sitting down to teach the ones in which he would invest so much. The 12, as yet, have not been introduced as a group in this gospel. So the term disciples probably refers to a wider group of disciples. But I would like to think he was in the process of choosing the 12. And on that basis, let us draw close, for we too are his disciples. This teaching is for us as well. Jesus is sat on a rock. The usual teaching position for a rabbi. rabbi, While the pupils would have stood listening. Eagerly, relish the treasure you are about to hear. God no longer speaks through prophets, but in person. Relish and cherish that you may be without blemish. These words are precious, laced with love. Heaven's mandate, the declaration of the kingdom. With this message, Jesus declares what his kingdom is all about. He tells us that as believers this is how we should seek to live. Listen carefully. These are the beatitudes, the how we should be attitudes or the blessings. Listen and be blessed. In Matthew 5 verse 3 we read, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom heaven. I think this speaks of a starting point that all can achieve. If we are not high-spirited and full of ourselves and our own spirit, there is more room for the Holy Spirit to move. If we are proud and stubborn and fiercely independent, we quench him and allow him no room. We push him out. The word blessed used in the Beatitudes is the Greek word makeros, which means happy. But not the trite manner we sometimes associate with our English word happy. No, makeros speaks of a godly inner contentment, of a joy which is completely independent of the changes and the upheaval of life, an untouchable serenity, that inner peace which surpasses all understanding. Charles Spurgeon said, you have not failed to notice that the last word of the Old Testament is curse. And it is suggestive that the opening sermon of our Lord's ministry commences with the word blessed. Note also with delight that the blessing is in the present tense. Happiness A happiness to be now enjoyed and delighted in. It is not blessed shall be, but blessed are. The call to the poor in spirit is first for a reason. We as Christians seek to lay down and surrender all that is us, emptying ourselves so that we may be filled with him. In Philippians 2, verses 6 to 8, we read... His first step on the ladder teaches us to be humble and full of humility, as was our servant king. The second beatitude is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Greek word used here for mourn speaks of a deep sorrow and a regret for our sin, a deep grief before God over our fallen state. It is the strongest word for mourning, used also for mourning the death of a loved one. This mourning is the godly sorrow that produces repentance to salvation that is described in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. We read, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So when we read that, it it would seem that when we bring things to the cross, when we bring things to our Lord, we lay them down at his feet. When we surrender those things that we tend to hold on to and not let go, like a tenacious terrier, shall we say, getting hold of a rope. When we hand things over to him, it is God. The repentance is done, it's finished, as he said, upon the cross. But worldly sorrow brings death. Remembering before I was a Christian and you would just chew over the same thing again and again. And it just brings death to spirit, death of soul. just makes you feel low. And indeed, sometimes you know where it ends up. Anyway, those who mourn can feel a closeness to God which they may not experience at any other time. Before I was a Christian, there was no other time that would cause me to look up to heaven Consider its possibility more than losing a loved one. You become acutely aware of your mortality and consider the things of heaven. It is one of those times when you feel the spiritual realm actively. Heaven's gate is ajar and you wonder where your loved one has gone. And you are blessed because you are ripe for the picking. When my mother died, I felt a surreal peace at the funeral that all was well. As I have told you before, she told me she knew where she was going. She knew Jesus. She left me her cross. I nearly became a Christian there and there, there and then, and would have done if someone had been on hand to, you know, to leave me. But there was still some mileage left in my walk before I arrived here and gave my life to Jesus then when I lost others I looked towards heaven each time I heard his still small voice beckoning so be aware when someone is mourning the gate of heaven is ajar and herein lies an opportunity for their salvation they are ready to be comforted in the loving arms of our saviour Jesus let us be the hands and feet, the voice that is there. The next one of the Beatitudes, the way we should live. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We tend to think of being meek as being weak, but this, in fact, could not be further from the truth. The word for meek used here in the Greek is the word praus. I think that's how you pronounce it. Which cannot be translated by one English word alone. Our language is not expansive or descriptive enough for one word to cover it. It has been described as the proper balance between anger and indifference of a personality properly controlled with humility. A bit like the fruits of the spirit, patience and self-control. The meek person is not passive or easily pushed around. The main idea behind the word meek is strength under control. Like a strong stallion trained to do a job instead of using that strength to run wild. One that suffers wrong without bitterness and the desire for revenge. If you are meek, you do not look down on people. You are not put off by who they are or by their circumstances. Look at Jesus. He meets with tax collectors, prostitutes, and so-called ruffians like shepherds and fishermen because he had a heavenly perspective where all are sinners and all of us are Romans. If you see in the same way and are meek, yours is a victory and rejoice, little flock, for you shall inherit the earth. The next one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. All of the Beatitudes we have read so far show us to be those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, if we can achieve them. Anyone who thinks they have got the Beatitudes mastered, I would say is mistaken. And anyone who thinks they are not the way that we should seek to live, well, you would have to question their salvation. When spiritual gifts are to be eagerly desired well, no, sorry, where spiritual gifts are to be eagerly desired these beatitudes are as said, the way we as believers should live. Righteousness is a big thing because it is the only one that gets a double mention. It is a passion to see everything right from a kingdom perspective. It is a hunger not easily satisfied. It is a hunger that endures and will probably not end till our, till we are with the Lord in heaven. This passion is like real hunger and thirsting, an unrelenting hunger that we in the West never really get. In its time and setting in the Middle East when Jesus spoke these things, people understood what it meant to be hungry. And hunger and thirst and famine was a distinct possibility, just as it still is in parts of the world, lest we forget that. If you desire righteousness, do what is right. Do you get upset about social justice issues? Do you dislike that which is not fair in the world? You are on the right path. Do you get upset that droves of people are heading to hell without knowing or being told about Jesus? Do you do anything about it? The proof that someone hungers and thirsts for righteousness is that they do do something about it. Jesus always did. The next of the Beatitudes is... Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We are to be merciful to receive mercy, just as the Son of God, Jesus, was sacrificed in God's mercy towards us, that we might, as sons and daughters, who were shown mercy, extend that same mercy to others. So, as a starting point, we are to give what we have received. Be unto others as you would have them. Be unto you. The Lord has been gracious with us. Let's be gracious with others. As we see with the servant who owed much to his master in the parables, when he begged for mercy, it was shown to him. And yet he insisted when he was owed money by another servant that all be repaid to him. This is not the way of the kingdom. The merciful one will show it to those who are weaker and poorer. He will look for those who weep and mourn. They will be forgiving, always looking to restore broken relationships. Think the best of others whenever possible. They will not, the merciful one, expect too much from others and will have compassion for all, caring for the souls of all men. If you expect mercy from God, show it to others. Look at King David with Saul. He could have killed Saul on a number of occasions, in the cave and in the camp, and yet he did not. He was within a hair's breadth of him, and yet he let him live. And Then on Saul's and Jonathan's death, it, he extended the mercy to Mephibosheth was treated as a prince when actually he felt he deserved nothing as talked about last week by chris not only that but there was also a bit of confusion when he appeared to have disappeared with uh, david's son absalom that he might have been in cahoots with absalom when in fact it was not but his servant silva tried to portray it thus but david was merciful david was quick to listen and slow to anger. David reacted, but bearing in mind the amount of mercy that David had poured upon him. This is a model of how we should be. The next is, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now I'm running out of time here and I've still got quite a way to go, so I think I better... What do you think, huh? Got ten minutes, okay. The next one is blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. In the Greek, the phrase pure of heart has the meaning of a straightness and honesty, clarity, and undivided heart focused on God. If you think about it, um, who was it? Was it um, Philip that Jesus looked upon and said, an Israelite in which there is no guile. Was it Philip? Whatever. Um, maybe Nathaniel. But anyway, this, this is what is desired from a kingdom person. Let us not be double minded. Let us not double talk. Let our yes be yes and our no be no, because anything else can be the devil. And I, I have to say that, you know, sometimes letting your yes be yes and your no be no. It's harder than it appears because if we're double-minded, we may not mean to be. We still focus on God, but we also want to please people. So sometimes we say yes when we should say no, which just leads to confusion. So keep the eye focused on God. Please him and him only. Spurgeon said, Within the Beatitudes, Christ was dealing with men's spirits, with their inner and spiritual nature. He did this more or less in all the Beatitudes. And this one strikes the very centre of the target. It covers it all. And what a wonderful reward. We shall see God if we are pure in heart. Pure in heart, not wishing to... I watched it the other night. I, I, for the first time in a long time, I watched a TV programme which just looked like it was going to be A murder. Mystery, and then when it got into it, I, I watched it all, which I shouldn't. I should have cut as soon as the alarm bell went off, when the Holy Spirit urged me to. But there was such a dark side to it, as there is with many of these programs, and it affected me quite a lot. And then I wish I hadn't seen it. It left a bad taste. So let's be pure in heart. Let let us. I mean, if. When it goes, when you get after the beatitudes, we move into obviously the similitudes, the salt, the light, the law, which is basically an expansion upon what's given in the beatitudes. If you look, it sort of just uh, tells us, you know, more of how we should be. Right. Anyway, the next. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God children of God, some version include us all, which we know that, that anyone anyway, get himself in lots now okay. right. this does not speak of us being at peace although we should have that in the peace which surpasses all understanding, but bringing peace not only between people, but mainly between people and God what a what a blessing it must be to be um, a negotiator who brings genuine peace between two warring factions like like they have forever seeking to do in the Middle East and various other parts of the world. But this is more to do with what Jesus did for us and what we should seek to do with others. Just as Jesus became the means of us being at peace with God by becoming the payment for our sins so too must we, through evangelism and outreach, whatever way, shape or form that may take, reconcile the loss to God. So just, at the, you know, we, many in this church do that. Girls' brigade, youth, children's work, old, the old people, the elderly. So just, sorry, old people, that's an awful thing to say. None of us are old, are we? Suggested the Son of God brought between us and uh, brought between us and God peace. We can do the same for those who do not know Him, so we can share in the name, sons of God, also. Aye. The next, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs. It's the kingdom of heaven here righteousness gets its second mention which shows how important it is to God and persecution comes when as said earlier you not only hunger and thirst for righteousness but you step up and do something about it the world doesn't always like it and the other fella you know the one certainly doesn't But the reward for this, for stepping up, for seeking that things be right, that reward is heaven. There is more in this one. For Jesus then goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when people insult you, revile you, and falsely accuse you for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. But in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, when you evangelize, expect people to come against you, but fear not, for Jesus has overcome the world. As said, rejoice in this suffering. Come on, look how he suffered for you. So as said, I believe, we need to live by these beatitudes. Then we will be blessed and see fruit in our daily lives. and Then signs and wonders will follow.